Now, the other part of the good news for tonight is that uh, we are continuing with the book of Ephesians. Whoop, whoop. All right, that is great news. Um, next week, we're finishing with Ephesians, not because we want to, but because we have to, because the year is coming to an end. Um, but we can go on and preach through Ephesians for a long time. Um, so, but we won't, because that's just next week's the end. But whom of you have been reading through Ephesians? Okay, have you been enjoying it? Whom of you have not been reading through Ephesians? This is church, you can't lie. All right, uh, you can start tomorrow. Um, but Ephesians is an incredible, incredible book. So before we do a little bit of a quick recap, I want to pray for us for the Word. Um, I believe God wants to come and do something specific tonight that He's already started doing just um, while Heinrich and the team was leading us just into worshiping God through song. So I believe that God wants to come and do something specific tonight. Are you guys expectant? All right. Whom of you came here tonight with an expectation to hear from the Lord? Okay. Whom of you need a fresh word of God? Okay. Whom of you need a fresh encouragement going into the holiday season? You need a fresh encouragement thinking about next year. All right. I hope you get all of that. I have made no promises that I will give it to you. But I, I do know that God has a desire to meet you at your place of expectation. And I trust that He will come and do that. So let's pray. Father, thank You that we can have great confidence that Your presence is here with us. And we thank You, Lord, that You choose to make Your presence manifest to us. It's an overwhelming thought, God, that You who is holy, You are holy, Lord, that You choose to make Yourself manifest among us. Um, you know us, Lord, to the deepest levels, and still you choose to be here with us. Not because of us, but because of your promises and your commitments that you've made towards us. Um, your word says that we're two or, two, or three, um, two or three or more are gathered in your name. There you are. And we thank you, Lord, that we can just be so expectant for you to speak to us, for you to minister to us, and for you to reveal more of, your, of yourself to us. And we say, Amen. Amen. All right, so Ephesians 5. Now, um, we are continuing. Last week, Jan spoke about Ephesians 5, and we looked a little bit at the roles and responsibilities of the husband and the wife. Whom of you were here last week? Okay, whom of you were not here last week? Whom of you were not here last week, and you did listen to the podcast? Yes, look at that. <laughs> I mean, that's why we spend millions on it, you know? Like, <laughs> No, I'm joking, guys. It doesn't cost millions. Um, but... So I'll do a quick recap just from last week because understanding last week is important for what we're going into tonight. And I think we did say this in the beginning of Ephesians that you cannot read Ephesians in isolation. So you cannot go into chapter 5 and then take portions of Scripture out of chapter 5 and then think, oh, this is what it says. No, we've got to understand and read Ephesians in the context of the whole of the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. So last week... Jan spoke about just husbands love your wives um, and wives submit to your husbands. Some of the husbands remember that part. Okay? And that's like it. When, when, when Jan said that, you're like, yep, that's the sermon done for me. Wives need to submit to their husbands. And then it says, husbands love your wives just as Christ loves the church by laying his life down for her. Um, so I'm not going to read the passage again tonight. There's something else that I feel God wants to come and stir among us. But there's three things coming from, from that passage in Ephesians 5 that I want to recap quickly. 
or two things, and then I want to build to the third. The first one is the covenant. So Jan spoke about the covenant, that when the Bible speaks about a marriage, it speaks about a covenant. It doesn't speak about a contract. Now, when you get married, you set up a marriage contract with your lawyer, and that basically deems the terms of this marriage. So if something goes wrong, God forbid, then this is the terms of the contract. And we step into this marriage contract. But before the Lord, when, we, when two people get married, they step into a marriage covenant. So, and the Bible speaks about the covenant. And if you go back into the Bible, there's four places where God makes, in the Old Testament, where God makes a covenant with man. So first it was, was, with, was with Noah. Some of you know the story about Noah, and um, I heard someone mention, like calling it Noah's zoo on a boat. <laughs> yeah, so we know that story. Noah's zoo on a boat. Then there was a covenant made with Abraham. There was a covenant made with um, Moses when they received the Ten Commandments, and then a covenant made with David, which is also a cool one where it speaks about the temple, the worship, and then ultimately that a king will come who will rule and reign forever. But in that covenant with Abram, God set up this scene where the animals were slain and the carcasses of the animals were on both sides of this passageway and blood in between, and then God put Abram into a deep sleep. So God then went through this passage of blood saying, may what has happened to these animals happen to me if I break my end of the covenant. Now the covenant was that God promises to be a God to Abram and his descendants, that he would multiply them, that he would make them fruitful and bless them, not just him, but through them the nations of the earth would be blessed. Their requirement is that they need to uphold the, um, the law. They need to uphold the commandments of God. Now, this was in Genesis 15. Whom of you know that there are books following Genesis? Whom of you have read some of them? Those people did not obey the commandments. <laughs> that was Genesis 15. If only, if only God knew. <laughs> but then God did an incredible thing where it was supposed to be Abram to walk through the scene to say, may what has happened to these animals happen to me if I do not uphold my end of the covenant. God went through a second time saying, Abram, I'm even committing to uphold your end of this commitment. Now, obviously, when we understand that story, it speaks about the gospel, right? So there's this covenant that points us towards the gospel. And when um, God made this commitment with Abram, it, wasn't, it was already knowing that man would fail and that God would send a, the ultimate sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, which would be Jesus on the cross, which would then pay the penalty for our failings, for our sins, so that this covenant can be restored. Now, that wasn't an afterthought. Man didn't mess up and God was like, oh my word, now we have to make a plan B. No, the Bible says that before the foundation of the earth, it was already predetermined that Christ would die. So Jesus was always plan A. We were always going to mess up. <laughs> but it was through this covenant promise that God has made and then the sacrificial price of the gospel the, the life of Christ, that this covenant can be restored, and you and I get to walk in covenant with God. Now, that's important, because when we go into that passage in Ephesians 5 and the rest of what the Bible teaches on the expectation on a marriage, you need to understand that it's impossible. The Bible says to the, the, the wives that you need to submit to your husband when they are perfect, and husbands love your wives when they make food every night. No, it doesn't say that. It just says, husbands, love your wives, and wives, submit to your husbands. And there's this big difference between a contract and a covenant. 
Um, Jan touched on it last week. So a contract is conditional, and a contract says, I will remain committed and faithful to the extent and to, as long as and to the extent that you remain committed and faithful. I think that's one of the slides. Then I know I'm not mixing my words. So a contract is, yes, <laughs> a contract is, it says, I will remain committed and faithful as long as and to the extent that you remain committed and faithful. So when you withdraw, I withdraw. Um, a covenant says, I will remain committed and faithful even if you don't. That's tough. Friends, that's tough. Right? And when we had the illustration with Jan and myself where um, we pressed in and we withdrew, um, because it means that in a marriage relationship, when the one withdraws, for whatever reason, it might be just having a bad day at work, it might be something more serious that might even give, in a contractual mindset, the husband the legitimate reason to back away, but we didn't say yes to a contract, we said yes to a covenant, then let's say you've got this separation, so they're together, the wife withdraws, the husband doesn't wait like a good husband and says, hey, I still love you, I'll wait here for you to return. A covenant says, I'm pressing in, and I'm restoring us into the balance of where this relationship should be. Now that's important, because Paul writes and he says that this mystery is incredible, but I'm speaking about Christ and the church. So this covenant that God has set up for us to experience within a marriage is actually pointing towards something far greater. It's pointing towards the gospel. So you need to understand that this covenant that God calls us to walk in is actually the covenant that He set up for us to walk in with Him. And here's the beauty of it. You and I were separated from God. Let's make it this way. <laughs> you and I were separated from God with no means of helping ourselves. The Bible says that we were without God and without hope in this world, Ephesians 2. Then what did God do because of the covenant? He drew near. Then He restores us to our rightful place, seated alongside Him in the heavenly places. That's what the Bible teaches us. If you've missed all of that, Ephesians 2. Go and read and sit on Ephesians 2. It's beautiful. But that's the gospel. So God enables you to walk in this covenant relationship with Him. Now, I want to give you an illustration. You guys know that we are a church planting movement. It's my church plant. <laughs> it's my lame jokes, guys. I have at least one or two during a service. <laughs> so it's my church plant. Now, the covenant with God enables me. My wife's not here tonight. She came. I preached at the, the morning service, and she came with the morning um, but my covenant with God enables me to walk in covenant with my wife because the expectations of the covenant are too great for me to carry. But now, because I'm in covenant with God, um, I know what it means to be loved unconditionally so I can love unconditionally. I know what it means to be forgiven so I can forgive. I know what it means to receive compassion and mercy and grace so I can give the same. It's only from walking in covenant with God that I am able to walk in covenant with my wife. There is no other way. The expectation is too great because it is about the gospel. And that's important. Right? Understanding that marriage is about the gospel is key towards you understanding what marriage is really about. It's key towards you understanding why we should keep ourselves pure for marriage. So sometimes in the church we speak about the what a lot. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Um, there's a lot of stuff that God has. Like, let's speak about sex. God created sex. Full stop. It's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. But He created it for marriage. Now, we know that. But why? 
Because if you don't understand the why, it'll be difficult for you to practice the discipline or um, to set in place the things needed to remain faithful. Understanding the why, it's about the gospel. But the good news is that because it's about the gospel, God will be committed to marriages because it's about the gospel. Friends, the gospel is the message of Jesus. It's the story of Jesus. And God is faithful to the gospel. Therefore, He is faithful to marriages. But now, because I walk in covenant with God, I'm able to walk in covenant with my wife. But this is what happens. This is a beautiful plant, right? Okay? Now, there's still, I've, I tried to find one that wasn't ugly, because you know, like when there's one flower and there's a lot of bulbs, what do you call, like a flower that's not yet flowered? What do you call it? A, a bud, thank you, that's the word, you see. Uh, when you have a, f- um, a flower or a plant that has little flowers with a lot of buds, some of them are not that pretty, but there's a bud, okay? So it means it still has to blossom. Now, um, when I got married to my wife, okay, there was a space when she walked down the aisle and I saw her and I was in awe, right? I, I don't think I cried. Um, I'm a type of person, if you catch me crying, it's um, off guard. Like, I, my emotions are quite controlled normally. But she came down the aisle, and we stood next to each other, and we made these commitments to one another. And there's an element, element of, I love my wife, the day we got married. Whom of you got married recently? Okay, you love your wife, right? Good space in church. Oh yeah, you guys are both, like a couple of weeks apart. <laughs> All right, Nostiets, yeah, it's been two weeks now. Come on. It's a record, Louis, huh? Yeah. It's the longest you've ever been married. Yeah, it is his first time, guys. (laughs) So there's an element when I say to my wife, I love you. But here's something that you need to hear, and we're going to expand on this. You can only be loved to the extent that you are known. You can only be loved to the extent that you are known. So when my wife and I were standing at the altar, there was a level of knowing Um, in our relationship. So I know my wife to a certain extent. Now we've been married for nine plus years. I'm saying plus because it was September. I'm not like nine plus something something, okay? I know how long I've been married. (laughs) We've been married now for nine years, and there's a knowing that has grown and that has enabled me to love my wife more. The more I know her, the more I get to love her You can only be loved to the extent that you are known. Now, here's my job as husband and also for the wives as well. This flower needs proper soil to grow in, to blossom in, so that this bud will also blossom. And my job is to cultivate the soil for my wife to blossom in. So the way that I create a space of belonging for my wife, the way that I create a space of unconditional love, where our relationship, our marriage, her, my affection towards her is not reliant on her performance. It's not reliant on her perfection. It's not reliant on her always doing everything right. That means that she doesn't have to step into this relationship where she has to be on her guard. I can't make a mistake. What if I say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing or think the wrong thing? What if he rejects me? What if this relationship is at risk? No, there's a space where she can fully be Because she is loved. There's no risk. She's fully accepted. And that enables her to blossom. 
that enables her to grow. And then as she grows, as she blossoms, I get to experience the joy of seeing new flowers develop on my wife. And the more I see these new flowers develop, the more I get to love what has now been revealed to me. Isn't that beautiful? I get to enjoy the very things I'm cultivating in my wife. Ephesians 5, Paul says that husbands, we, um, we sanctify our wives, we wash our wives with the word so that they are presented pure, spotless, and blameless. But we get to enjoy part of that because I get to see my wife blossom. Now, ladies, you're in the same place, all right? Um, Paul writes at the end of Ephesians 5, and he says that um, wives love your husbands, you know? Husbands love your wives, wives respect your husbands. So there's, there's a soil that you create for your husband wherein he gets to flourish. As a man, society says that you are the provider. The gospel says God is the provider. The man is just the steward of what God has entrusted to the household. It takes pressure off. And when you do not put a pressure on your husband that the Bible doesn't, it creates a space for him to flourish. And there's a thing that is revealed from your husband that you get to enjoy. That's what the gospel does. Because that's exactly what Jesus does for you and me. That it creates a space where you can flourish. Because God's love for you is never at risk. God's approval over your life is never at risk. God's pleasure over you is never at risk when you are in Christ. When you are walking in a covenant with Him. When you've, yet, when you've said yes to this marvelous mystery of the gospel. But remember Paul says that this is a marvelous mystery but I'm speaking about something more. And like we said last week, yes, this is what we get to experience in our marriages, but the thing that your heart is deeply longing for is Christ because your spouse can never satisfy the deepest longings in your soul. It can only be satisfied with your Creator. And it's in this space where you get to connect with the God who loves you most because who knows you the best? It's God. Friends, that's a scary thought. Right? There's parts of you that you don't even know, but God knows. There's parts of you that, God has, that you have not even been revealed to by yourself, like the depths of our selfishness. Like when we get married, we're like, I feel, I feel I'm pretty okay. Like I feel I'm pretty sorted. I mean, I got someone to say yes to committing their life to me for the rest of their lives. I can't be that bad. <laughs> oh, get married. And then you see the depth of your selfishness. <laughs> And not in a bad way, but it's because marriage was designed to sanctify one another. Marriage was designed to help us be shaped to become more like Christ. That's God's intent. So if you think you're not going to have any friction in your marriage, you're saying yes to a different marriage that the Bible says. Because God designed it in such a way that there should be friction because we need to become more like Christ. But now in the same way, your relationship with God, this covenant you have with Him, it will have friction because God is forming you in His image. But it's doing it from the space of the covenant where your relationship is never at risk. It takes the pressure off. You don't need to perform. You don't need to impress. You don't need to suppress areas of your life that is maybe not in place. You can be totally vulnerable. And God knows you the deepest. And he still says, I love you most. He still says, I love you most. Now, so the first one is the covenant. The second one is the gospel. And then the third one is the church. And this is what I want us to um, go a little bit deeper into. The church. 
So we, remember, if we reflect back on the story of Ephesians, that we are born again and we are added into Christ, right? So you become part of Christ. You are baptized into Christ. Then um, Paul writes and he says that we are also now added into Jesus' body. And we spoke about Ephesians 3, the church, that you are added to the body of Christ. Now, it's important, you cannot be part of Christ and not be part of the body. Okay, those two go together. When you, are, when you become part of Jesus, He adds you to His body. Not you yourself, He adds you to His body. And here's the thing then that God calls us into. He sets you up in a covenant relationship with Him. You need to grasp that. And you won't tonight. Um, and what I mean by that is, it's too big for us to grasp in one moment. We'll spend the rest of our lives to fully grasp what it means that God has set up a covenant with me that He has also um, promised to uphold both sides of it. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense that God would say, I'm going to be faithful and committed to you even when you're not. You see, the enemy comes when you've had a bad week. Maybe you've messed up and you've fallen back into some old lifestyles because following Jesus will alter your lifestyle, just FYI. But you've maybe fallen into a bad lifestyle and then the enemy says to you, how do you think that you're really saved? <laughs> how can you believe that you are really saved and deeply loved by God when this is still happening in your life? And he causes you to question whether you are truly saved. So he takes away your authority in your position of, I'm born again. I have confidence. I have an assurance. Because the moment he takes away your confidence and your assurance, fear comes in. And fear is about performance. And I try to, again, perform my way back to being fully loved by God. But that's not the covenant. God says, I am faithful and committed to you even when you mess up. Even when you are not faithful towards me. I'm going to be faithful to you. Because that's the covenant. You are in Christ. You're in the body. Because God adds us into a covenant with Him, we are then automatically in a covenant with one another. God calls us to be a covenant people. And, and this, speaking specifically to the church. Now, who's the church? It's not people who sit in a Sunday on a seat, all right? It's not like, ooh, I made it. <laughs> no, the church are those who've been added into Christ because they've been added to the body. That's the church. So Paul is writing this letter to the church, to believers. And he says, God is calling us to be a covenant people. Now, in the same way that I cultivate the soil... Whoa. In the same way that I cultivate the soil for my wife to blossom, we get to cultivate the soil for one another. What does that look like? What does that look like? I want to give us a couple of things to think about, and then we'll read um, a passage from Ephesians 4. Do we expect perfection? Do we expect perfection when we come to church, when we step into the gathering of the saints, when we fellowship with other believers? Do we expect people to be perfect? Do we expect there to be no racism in the church? Do we expect there to be no selfishness in the church? Do we expect there to be no insecurities in the church? Or do we acknowledge that we are all works in progress? Do we allow one another the grace needed to grow, to grieve, and to forgive? Like, is the soil um, filled with grace that's allowing people to process stuff that has been happening to them? 
Do we cover one another or are we quick to judge, gossip, and slander? Do we celebrate one another and rejoice in, in, others, in each other's victories? Or do we look for opportunities to put others down? Are we overly critical? And again, this is just speaking to the church, not this is speaking to believers. So what type of soil are we cultivating for one another? Ephesians 4, Paul writes, and I'll read parts of it. It starts off in verse 1 and says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness, humility, gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. So he's calling us to live lives that are worthy of the calling of God over our lives. What is that? That we've been called out of darkness into glorious light. We've been dead, but God has made us alive. And He's saying, live a life now that reflects that truth, that you have been made alive with Christ. Then it says that we will bear with one another. Why? Guys, because we're all still growing up. Like if you spend time with my wife and you ask her about this stuff, like, I mean, um, we don't fight a lot. I think our last fight was last night. Doesn't happen that often. <laughs> she's not here tonight because she's really not able to be here, right? <laughs> Those of you who've been married for a longer time will know that we mess up. We're still works in progress. Um, our biggest fights in our marriage doesn't come from major stuff. It comes from insecurities. It comes from stuff that I'm just still battling with, and then she would say something, and I would interpret, interpret it completely different, and then that becomes a fight. And it's stupid. Like afterwards when you think about it, it's like, man, I'm so stupid. <laughs> but we're still growing up. We're still maturing. We're still being sanctified. We're still being formed in the image of God. But all of us are. And in that space, God is calling us that will we bear with one another? Will we show compassion to one another? Will we show love to one another so that we can grow? Because inside of every single one of us, there are all of these buds. Because you were formed and created in the image of God. And that is what God is calling out of us as His people, that His image will be made manifest to the world. But friends, we as the church get to cultivate the soil for one another. He goes on in Ephesians 4, and he says that you've now been given a new nature, a new man, and he says that you put off the old and put on the new. And then from verse 25, he says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, if you're stealing. That's your cue to stop it. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. When we speak to one another, may it be seasoned with grace, may it be filled with grace, that when someone hears you speaking to them, that it is grace that they receive, and grace is part of this soil that cultivates the gospel to grow inside every single one of us. The way we speak to one another may it be with grace. And again, this is just speaking about believers. 
And then he continues and he says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Friends, this is the, the crux of all of this, of all our relationships. These relationships, your marriage, your relationships, the starting point has to be Christ. The starting point has to be Jesus. If you are single and you are stepping into a relationship with another person and the starting point is not Jesus, you are stepping into something unfulfilled. And that thing you're stepping into will never be able to fulfill you. You will be disappointed or you will abuse because you're trying to draw something from someone that cannot give you what you truly desire. You desire Christ. The starting point has to be Jesus. And then the goal it's not a healthy marriage. The goal is not a healthy family. The goal is not a healthy church. The goal is Jesus. It's bigger. It's bigger. So in the contractual mindset, the, the, the object or the goal or the person of focus is myself. As long as I'm happy, as long as I'm satisfied, as long as my needs are met. In a covenant, the, the object is the other person, but it's even more than that. The object is Jesus. On the other side of me being a good husband to my wife is not a healthy marriage. It's the gospel. It's Jesus. On the other side of your relationship, if you're not married, um, your relationship being pure, your relationship honoring God, it's not so that your relationship will be good, so that you'll one day have a healthy marriage. Yes, that's part of it, but it's Jesus. It has to be more. It has to be about more than just whatever we get. It's about Christ. And then in between those spaces... Yes, you have the promise of a fulfilled life. Jesus says that I came to give life and life in abundance. But the goal has to be Jesus. And that changes the narrative completely. And here's the other thing. If God adds us into a covenant, so when I got into a covenant with my wife, I forfeited my right for an out. Because I didn't step into a contract. At no space did I say, okay, if you do this, like, these are my terms, and if you do this, I'm out. It's a covenant. Even when you're not faithful, I will be. I forfeited my out. Now, if God adds you to a covenant people, His body, do you have an out? <laughs> I'll be committed to this church if these conditions, if one other person comes and asks me whether I want to serve on a Sunday, if one more person talks to me about discipleship. We are called to one another in a covenant relationship, meaning that you don't have an out. Do you know why? Because God doesn't have an out with you. God hasn't got these contractual um, things in place, and He says, okay, if you do this and this and this, then I'm out. God says, I will remain faithful to you. I will be a God to you and your descendants. And then God adds us to one another, and we get to cultivate the soil for one another so that the gospel can grow in each and every one of us. Now, here's the beauty of it. When, when you go to visit someone whose marriage is really healthy, there's something attractive about it, right? Like when you go and visit someone whose marriage is not healthy and you step in, you can feel the vibe, and you're like, I don't think we're staying so long tonight. <laughs> Next time we meet them at the coffee shop. <laughs> when you step into a healthy marriage, you can feel there's a different spirit. 
and it attracts you. It draws you in because there's something beautiful about it because it reflects the gospel. Now, for us as a church, when we love one another in a covenantal way, not a contractual way, when those who do not know Christ step into our gathering, they get drawn towards Jesus. And that should be the goal. Remember, the starting point is Christ. The goal is Christ. Why do we endure with one another? Why do we forgive one another? Why do we um, have compassion over one another? Because it's about Jesus. The way that we love one another, Jesus says in John, John 13, 35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If you have love for one another. I want the band to come up again. Friends, if I have an expectation in my marriage that it will never be tough, if I have an expectation in my marriage that, we will never, um, that there will never be friction, then I have an unhealthy expectation because the marriage by God was designed to shape me The marriage by God was designed to form me so that I can become more like Him. That's by God's design. But the beauty is that it happens within covenant. And as long as we take the covenant as our our starting point, like this is the the, the realm or the playing field that we get to argue or um, like differ in or have conflict in, because conflict, conflict in itself is not bad, right? Whom of you are in a relationship with zero conflict? Please don't raise your hand because I want to tell you that relationship is fake. Huh? In your imagination. (laughs) If a relationship that has zero conflict is fake, conflict is good because it helps us to grow closer together. And when we go through our differences, when we go through conflict on the platform or the basis of the covenant, there is a deeper intimacy as your reward. Because the relationship is never at risk. God has designed our relationships here in His body to shape one another. God has called us to be a people who love one another, to speak truth to one another. It would be unloving of me to withhold truth from you that could impact your eternity. It would be unloving of me. We are called by God to love one another. We are called by God to show the world what love looks like. That when people step into our midst, they get to experience the gospel. When people step into the presence of the church beyond just Sundays, in our homes, in our gatherings, there should be a fragrance of the gospel. Now, coming back to that one statement, you can only be loved to the extent that you are known. It's the same here. If you're in a relationship and there's hurt in your heart or there's um, disappointment in your heart or there's anger in your heart and you've almost like created these barriers around your heart to say, I will never um, give this much of myself again because the last time it hurt too much. So I've created this protective barrier over my heart You are not just keeping the pain out, but you're keeping the love out. You can only be loved to the extent that you are known. 
Now, it would be stupid of you to take all of your vulnerabilities and put it in the cares of another person because they cannot give you what you need. They cannot give you the healing that your heart needs. They cannot give you the forgiveness that your heart desires. That's with God. But in the same way, we can step into this space where we don't want to be vulnerable because of the fear of judgment. Like here, we got to, like the church is sometimes so good at putting up masks. How's it going? No, lekker, lekker. Lekker in jy. Nee, mooi, is gaan nou braai. We have all this Christian lingo, and we know how to say all the right things. No, praise Jesus. Amen. God is good. This is the space where we get to be real. This is the space where you get to be vulnerable. Why? So that you can be loved. You can only be loved to the extent that you are known. Now, it's not just your responsibility to make yourself known, to be vulnerable. It's also the church, our responsibility to create a soil where you feel safe, to create a soil where you feel welcome, to create a soil where we're not quick to judge. That's our responsibility towards one another. I want us to close our eyes again. And I'm going to ask you to be vulnerable. If you're at a space where you know that you've been withholding yourself from being loved, you know that in church there's areas where you don't go, you don't share stuff with people, you, you battle on your own. You know, and God is speaking to you and is, is saying to you that unless you are willing to reveal parts of your heart, there will always be an aspect of love that you will not experience. And if God has been speaking to you throughout the service, I want you just to raise your hand. I want you to keep it up. I don't want you to put it down. I want you to keep it up. Anyone else? The Bible says that if we hear the word and we do not put it into practice, we deceive ourselves. So I'm going to ask you to be vulnerable and to stand. Thank you. I promise you on the other side of you standing, you will experience the Holy Spirit's comfort. Anyone else that wants to stand before we pray? scary because we're so conditioned that we have to perform to be loved. Everything in society is that way. You work hard, you get a promotion. Even in school, you pass all your grades, you get a star or more pocket money. But everything in society is geared towards performance so that you will be accepted. But that's not the gospel. And I really believe that God wants to come and break things tonight. Guilt and shame are some of the enemy's most powerful weapons because guilt and shame takes you into isolation and in isolation 
your voice to yourself is sometimes the worst voice that you can have because it's telling you all the wrong things and it's feeding you the lies of the enemy. But the covenant lifts the shame. The covenant lifts the rejection. And I want to say to you tonight that if you've been rejected by people, God wants to come and set you free. If you're walking around with shame because of stuff that has happened in the past, God wants to come and lift the shame. Now God has called us as a body to love one another. So I want those of you who are sitting together around those who are standing. God has called us towards one another. He's called us to be one body, to be members of one body. I'm going to pray a simple prayer and ask that the Holy Spirit speaks to you. Um, and then I want you to be vulnerable and maybe share with the people around you what is the one thing that you'd like, to, that you'd like them to pray with for you tonight. Father, I pray that you'll come and speak to every single person, Lord, who has chosen this to make themselves vulnerable and to make themselves known. I pray right now, Lord, that you'll come and just speak that one thing, Lord, that you want to come and bring healing and breakthrough in tonight. I really sense that God wants to come and settle some things tonight. Sometimes there's a journey that we go through but sometimes God shows up and He miraculously settles things. And I believe for some of you, there's a settling that God wants to come and do tonight. So Holy Spirit, would you come and lead them into sharing just with the people around them? What is that one thing that they would like prayer in? And if you're ready, I want you just to share with the people around you. Um, if you are unsure and you're not hearing anything, that's okay. Just share with the people I am. I'm not sensing something specific. And then the people around you will just pray anyway. Okay. So I'm going to give you guys a couple of moments.
if you are still busy, um, you can continue even, um, we're going to end with a song tonight, but you can continue to share and to pray. Um, there's a song by Rain Collective called No Outsiders. I didn't want to sing it tonight. Oh, sorry, am I on, not on mute? <laughs> but there's parts of the song. It says, There are no outsiders to your love. We are all welcome. There's grace enough. When I have wandered, Lord, your cross is the open door. There are no outsiders. I'm not an outsider to your love. Um, and friends, that's the beauty that we get to cultivate for one another because of what God has cultivated for us. Um, and the, the Hebrews, Hebrews says that we should not neglect the gathering of the saints as some are in the habit, but that we keep on encouraging and stirring on one another towards love and good works all the more as you see the day approaching, capital D, the end of times. Why? Because the enemy wants you to doubt the love of God where do you get to experience the ministered love of God within the body of Christ? He says, do not neglect coming together because our hearts wander away. Our hearts are led astray. And here we get to call one another back towards living for Christ, but also being loved by Christ. And may we as a church cultivate the soil for one another where we can grow and blossom but may those who do not know Jesus find a place of belonging. Every single one of us have people in our lives whose flowers are withered, whose um, leaves are withered, and they need the love of Christ. And if you and I are not going to show it to them, if you and I are not going to pull them into the places where they can belong, they will not receive it. Jesus acts through His body. Where God wills His kingdom to go, He sends us. And every single one of us have people in our lives that needs to experience Jesus. You are part of the solution, friends. We are the church. So I want to end for us in prayer. Then the band's going to, um, yeah, we're just going to sing that one song again. And I want to encourage you, if you still want to receive ministry, please do um, yeah, come to the front. We'll still love to pray for you. Um, afterwards, we're going to have coffee. So when they're done with the song, we're going to go have coffee. And then about five minutes after that, um, we're going to have a baptism. If anyone else wants to get baptized tonight, there's still time, all right. Um, so, so I want you just to, would you stretch out your hands? Jesus, we want to come and just declare that you are holy and we want to declare that you are the head of the church and that we are your body. And we want to declare tonight that you've added us to your body of which, which you are the head. And we want to render our lives available to whatever you say. Would you help us, Lord, to, to be known amongst one another, to be vulnerable amongst one another so that we can be loved amongst one another? And I pray, Lord, that you will grace us as a church to be a place of belonging for those who do not know you. We know, Jesus, that your heart longs for the son who is lost. You tell the story, Jesus, of the prodigal son, the lost son, and how the father is waiting every day at the, on the porch for the son to come home. And we want to extend our hearts and link it with yours. We often sing that song, Jesus, break our hearts for what breaks yours. And we want to extend our hearts tonight and say, Lord, would you come and fill us with more of your heart? 
Help us to love the way that you love. Help us to be vulnerable towards you and open towards you so that we can be fully loved by God, but help us to fully love one another and to create a space, Lord, where those who do not know you can belong. We render ourselves, Lord, into your service. Just as Paul said, we are bond servants of Christ. Of Christ. We belong to Christ. We've given away our out. We've given away our out, Lord, and we've made ourselves and we've rendered ourselves yours. We belong to you. Amen.